Welcome to this special episode of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast, which is actually a part of season three, which I thought I had finished. But just when you think that you have completed your work, something new and someone new comes along and makes you realize that there's still some valuable addition to be made to the roster of guests. And this is not just an ordinary guest. This is a rapper, man. His name is Jay Skrilla or J.S. Skrilla. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but he will inform us. And he has released or is planning to release in a few days an album, which is all about Bitcoin. And I, I have had the privilege to listen to it earlier than most of people. And it's quite interesting. It's built from voice samples and rhythms. And you're, you're going to hear lots of personalities who have spoken about Bitcoin in the last few years. And it's really good to have you, Mr. J. Skrilla or J.S. Skrilla, because I have lots of questions about that art piece that you're releasing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on here, Vlad. Um, just to clear up, I'm not a rapper. I'm a producer and DJ. So like everything that I did on that album, like I made all the music. I, um, <clears throat> you know, I took all the samples, did a lot of turntablism stuff on there. So it's kind of like a, a mosh, I, I guess, kind of like a, I guess compared to like an art piece, it would be like a collage, you know what I mean? And then I got some rapper friends of mine who are in the industry to come on. And they're, they're rappers that are already interested in Bitcoin and they're outside the community. So like they're not like they don't see the shit going on in Twitter or any of that stuff. But they're just users of Bitcoin who are rappers. And so they've rapped about it in the past in their songs in the past few years. So I reached out to them and was like, yo, I'm doing a Bitcoin piece. It'd be cool to get some rappers who are actually like have fans and like are doing things and already know about the Bitcoin at least a little bit to come on the album and uh, join in on the art and uh, they were all about it. So uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I guess I'd explain the album a little bit. Yes. And I guess we still haven't clarified how we pronounce your name. So is it J oh, yeah, Skrilla yeah. or J Skrilla? <laughs> it's J Skrilla, J Skrilla. Yeah. I think so you mentioned like it in the last track on the album, but I just wanted to do this clarification. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Jay Skrilla, um, Skrilla Ventura, Rare Skrilla, the Dope Pope. <laughs> There's a couple names. But um, I'm part of a production crew called Guns and Butter. So it's uh, me and my partner, Chops. We've been uh, producing since uh, the 2000s. That sounds interesting. So, what kind of stuff have you worked on before? And how did you come up with the idea of doing something that's exclusively about Bitcoin? So, I mean, I started working on hip hop tracks basically after I was a DJ in college and then got into production and then I uh, started doing a lot of underground hip hop releases, indie, independent stuff, and then a lot of street rap from like Philly and New York through the 2000s. And then I started putting out my own stuff like as a producer, some tapes, some projects, and I've done a lot of different niche things with that. Um, I had some, had some music and soundtracks and um, like movies and all that stuff. But the um, Bitcoin stuff started when I got into, I found out about the Silk Road and I made an album about it. Actually, me and two of my friends made an album about it back in 2014 called, and it's called Silk Road. 
Um, it's on my SoundCloud page right now, but uh, this one was specifically about Bitcoin that I'm putting out on April 14th because that's what I got into at first. Um, then I experimented with the alts and stuff in like 2015, 16. And, um, you know, it was always Bitcoin first for me, honestly, but um, checked all that other stuff out. I even I did some tokenization of artworks even on some stuff, different platforms. Some of them aren't even around anymore back then. And uh, then was sitting in my room last fall and kind of like I started, I made these tapes called Gorilla Glue in 15 and 16 that uh, were pretty popular. And it's like slowed down, like syrupy, like soul samples and dirty drums. So I was kind of started working on that for tape three. And I, I was using Trailer Park Boys. It's a TV series from Canada. I started putting samples from that on there and stuff. And I was like, you know what? Somehow I got into this Bitcoin one. And the, the song I just released yesterday, uh, Faith in My Money, was the first one I worked on. I started using samples from there. I found myself just grabbing like Bitcoin samples or well, actually, it's just collapsing society samples. I was like, you know what? Maybe cool if I put out a Bitcoin tape because the halvening is coming up in May. Um, I'm all about Bitcoin. Uh, thought it'd be cool. Um, and I wanted to kind of collect, I wanted to kind of merge it. So it's like the underground hip hop independent stuff, those people would respect it and like the sense that it's good hip hop music. And then I wanted to also cater to the Bitcoiners who are like, all right this is dope because it's like education for no, for, you know, um, people, a lot of people are probably are going to hear, hear this album and don't know about Bitcoin. Um, so it's kind of like merging that. I try to do it without being too cheesy and it's kind of a fine line when you're doing like tech and authentic music. Like, I don't know. I don't make like pop music isn't really my thing. So, um, I try to kind of walk that line and keep it so edgy a little bit. Yes, as I was listening to the album, I realized that you have many samples of celebrity voices. And mm -hmm. I have heard Andrea Santanopoulos. I have heard Stephen Colbert when he had that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure the name of his show. I'm not sure what it is, but he spoke yeah. about Bitcoin in at the height of the bubble in 2017 mm -hmm. or 2018. So yeah. there is a lot of that stuff with voices you have heard before speak about Bitcoin, but being put into a musical context. And my question about you is, how did you pick these voices? Who are some unexpected choices that you made? And also, do you feel like their opinions are balanced? Because you didn't just pick people who promote Bitcoin positively. You picked lots of voices who spoke about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So that this was more like so I didn't want to get too so deep down the rabbit hole on this tape that it's like talking only to like 300 Bitcoin maximalists on Twitter. Like I want to make sure it's like it's Bitcoin pronounced. So sure, like it, it starts off the first song. The first voice you hear is a very uh, polarizing voice in Bitcoin from the jump. But what he says is what I wanted to like, that's me talking with my hands using his voice. So like, you know, you can, and not that I even disagree with the guy in a lot of stuff, but um, some people do. So a lot of Bitcoin people do. They think he's a marketer and just marketing and da da da. But uh, you can disagree with somebody and still agree. You know, it, 
you know, you got to, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, have some nuance. And I was just taking his voice and putting it on there. Um, then there's like Warren Buffett. I have him talking about Bitcoin positively on there. Like I kind of try to like troll his voice a little bit. I uh, took like um, McAfee talking like that Bitcoin's going to be at $2 million because I just thought it was hilarious. Um, so a lot of it is a little bit fun. Some of it is educational. Some of it I just kind of wanted to put out there to like let the listener go back and check out what's really going on. Like when I grew up listening to music in the nineties, I heard things talking, you know, when people are snippets of stuff going on or, you know, MCs talking like whatever they were talking, especially stuff like uh, rebellious talk. I would have to go back and look up the book they mentioned, like, and stuff like that. People would do that. And like, it's the same type of thing. Like, I'm not going to give you everything on this album where it's like a boring educational piece. I kind of just wanted to like, drop some Bitcoin jewels on the, what I hope people would think are some banging beats and put it all together in like a uh, 25 minute uh, story format. Yeah, I think oh. the vibes that I got, I'm not an expert in hip hop by any means, but I have listened to the albums by Kanye West. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about the Yay album that he released in 2019, I think. Because it's short, it's built from samples that build up to a central theme. And mm -hmm. at the end of it, you're left out with some sort of idea. In his case, it was about bipolarity and having some sort of mental illness. In your case, it's like a story of Bitcoin. And at some point, I think you also have samples from the voice of Dorian Nakamoto, who says that yeah. he is not Satoshi, he is not involved in the creation. And yeah. I think the first part feels like a search for the creator of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And the second part is more about what Bitcoin actually is. And to me, the highlight of the album is track number seven, Faith in mm -hmm. My Money or Money Printer Go Burr. Yeah. And I think even though it uses a popular meme that we use nowadays, it also captures the feelings that we have today and how we're not even sure what's going to happen. We know that there's going to be money printed. We know it's going to get delivered to people to some extent, but we don't know the consequences on the long term. This will definitely increase the depth level of U.S. citizens. This will definitely set a precedent for the rest of the world to do the same. And we we're not even sure if it's a good idea. And at some point, it feels like shooting in the dark. And mm -hmm. Bitcoin doesn't sound as crazy as it did a few years years ago. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's crazy, Vlad? I made that song. Like I said, that was the first track I actually made starting the album. And uh, that was before, the market was at like 29,000. Um, it was everything was fine. It, that most of those samples were from 2008 like it was talking about that and like you know the end of the song it talks you know it quotes uh what uh satoshi wrote in the uh first block or whatever with the um chancellor and that's what that was kind of referring to as the album was getting like finished the economy crumbled so i had to like that that i love that money 
um, Prenna Go Burr meme. So I quickly added that in the song and touched up a couple of things and kind of added that. So I think it, uh, it's weird. It, it's like, it speaks, it, it's the same thing. Like, it's like the same anxiety, you know, it's the same anxiety as like that, that 2008 time. And then also the same anxiety as the 2001 time, but it's like hyper that now, like it's beyond all that. Like we, I, I've never been through something like this in my existence. Yeah. And if you look at the track names, you have 10 tracks and if you just read them in order, the first one is 21 million, and that refers to the creation of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And then you have, I'm not sure how you read that, but it's S-T-S-H, Satoshi Nakamoto, I think. Yeah, Satoshi Nakamoto without the vowels in it. Actually, I had to just change that and update that today. Uh, my distributor hit me up and I had to turn it all into X's. So now all those blank spaces are X's. Okay. So. And then you have Dream of Empire, which basically presents the dreams of somebody who invests in a different type of money, which is digital. That's, that's a double entendre. That's true. But it's also, if you listen to his lyrics, he mentions dream of empire in there. And he also mentions Silk Road and he's kind of doing a play on words on dark markets. Cause dream, there's a dream market in the uh, empire marketplace for big, uh, I think in like 2016, 17. Right, and then you go to Digital Cash, which is track number four. And I actually just changed the name of that today, too, to my, from a distributor, is Internet Money Now. Sorry. It's kind of the same, but I think I prefer yeah. Internet Money. It's a better yeah. choice. So I agree. I think you made the right call with that one. And then you have <laughs> another one in track number five, which is called Dark Market. So it's possibly a continuation of what you had in track number three. Mm-hmm. And then you have yeah. one about China. Yeah, that's that one's about chi- kind of China and loosely talks about like decentralization and stuff towards the end, just to kind of like, not without saying what it's for, what it's for, I guess. And number seven, you said that this was the first one on which you started working faith in my money money printer go burr mm-hmm. and i think this is the highlight of the whole album if at first it feels dispersed and you don't really understand where this is heading it kind of finds purpose when it gets to track number seven you finally get it mm. and then you have number eight which is called bullish which I think marks the transition between the utility of Bitcoin on dark markets and then you have faith and a loss of faith in fiat money and the transition mm-hmm. to internet money. And then it's bullish because you believe that you have made the right choice. And then at number nine, it's called not in your wallet. So it's also a transition to different expectations for sovereignty you want to have the bitcoins in your wallet not on the exchange not in somebody else's custody Uh did you recognize that sample uh they're kind of mixed in my head so and not in your wallet it's the singing one where it's like it's like a sorry yeah it's like a it's from a sitcom i took the uh somebody 
there was a TV show that did a sitcom about explaining Bitcoin and they had an animated character start singing about it. So I took that and I drowned out the music and then I put a different beat behind it. So I kind of like, um, yeah, I don't know. That's what that is. I know that you took a voice sample from Gilfoyle from Silicon Valley when he explains that mm -hmm. definition of sound money from Aristotle and then moves on to the creation of Bitcoin. So you also have that one, but I think it's early in the album. It's not in track number yeah. nine. Yeah. I, I I don't know. Track number nine is kind of like, it's like my most DJ tracks. Like, so anybody that can appreciate like DJ music where it's like turntablism, where you're taking samples, combining them all together to create something. I think that's probably my biggest collage on the album is track nine because I took um, a bunch of different blends of songs and put them all together. Um, uh, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting mosh. If you look at where the uh, sample comes from, maybe. So some listeners could play, play detective on it. I also felt like track number 10, which is the final one, and it's called Peer to Peer. It mm -hmm. didn't feel like it has some sort of closure or final situation that it presents. It doesn't seem like you have presented any ending to your album, which is kind of fitting because we have no idea where this is heading. Yeah, that's perfect. Because actually, that's why, yeah, that's because I want to put out a second one after this one makes does what it does then I would like to um, put out a second one and make it even bigger and better so yeah that's that's good yeah, I was fortunate and privileged to be able to listen to this before it launches and what's the launch date by the way it's coming out April 14th 2020 um, on all streaming platforms. And if you download or if you go, you can right now, you can go to Bandcamp, rarescrilla.bandcamp.com and pre-order it. And uh, with the pre-order, you get a couple of the singles that are out now with the videos. One of them is the one that you're talking about, the Faith in My Money. The other one is Dark Market. And then with that too, Vlad, um, I'm trying to do something kind of like niche and new with Bitcoin is... Um, I'm giving out a token, a crypto collectible. Um, it's the artwork and um, it's made using a Freeport app, which is Joe Looney, who uh, he's done a big, big BTC pay server and he did the rare Pepe wallet and he's known for a lot of stuff in the crypto art space for developing. He has a cool app where you can just easily make tokens on Bitcoin. And uh, the image shows up on the Explorer and all that stuff. So it's kind of just like a fun way to uh, get people to like show that they supported the album before others. Just uh, you'll have a crypto collectible token kind of in your wallet. Uh, I guess you could say it's like swag points or something. So but I'm not using I'm not using I'm not using Ethereum like every single other artist does. So I think that. Some Bitcoiners will hate me because I'm say I'm spamming the meme pool, but uh, I think more Bitcoiners should get on board with artists embracing the technology of Bitcoin and using it um, beyond just a, a hodl or um, speculative. So what you're saying is that your album 
will leave a permanent mark on the immutable Bitcoin blockchain by having a message signed into a block? Yes. So the way the Freeport works is it's a, it's a Chrome extension and it also uses counterparty as like a lit. I don't know the technical stuff, but I think way it is, is um, it signs a message on Bitcoin that also counterparty has more access to more information stored in it. So you use a counterparty, which is like um, Mastercoin or Omni or whatever, or Liquid or any of that stuff. It's like a second layer on Bitcoin. Um, it's been around since like 2016. I'm not even shilling or anything, but it's there. It's not maintained well or anything, but it works. Um, and uh, you go to, I think, um, there's a few different explorers you can look at, but if you look at like xchain.com uh, and type in the uh, Bitcoin address of the uh, token, then you'll see the um, image and how many issued, it's locked, last traded, all that type of stuff. Um, so it's kind of cool. Um, it's not the most perfect ideal thing that I've kind of been wanting on Bitcoin, but hopefully Bitcoin... I feel like Bitcoin kind of could use like that type of um, exposure, more art and music and stuff like how the Ethereum um, congregation has gotten over there because that stuff all started on Bitcoin too. And then the VC money came in and swept up crypto art quickly in 2018. I think it was earlier. It was 2017. Well, no, I was, I was, I was there, dude, like two, January 13th, 2018 at Rare Art Festival. They had 400 people there. It was the first anything crypto art that was, con- like everybody got together. Uh, at Christie's and everybody was there. It was the first time any of these people had heard about it. And then right after that, money poured all the way into it. Um, and they're doing well. Like, I don't even knock a lot of stuff going on over there, but I feel like Bitcoin dropped the ball because... Um, like spells of Genesis and rare Pepe's and um, I don't know. There's a few others, Tatiana free uh, token FM, a bunch of other stuff, you know, started trying that stuff on Bitcoin, at least as early as what, 2015, 14, 15. Yeah. I know that Giacomo Zucco is trying to do the same with counterparty tokens on Spectrum, which is layer three on top of layer two, which is Lightning. Mm-hmm. And That's basically cool. yeah. it's a more scalable way because it doesn't use block space. It's not costly. It doesn't put a burden on those who run full nodes. And it relies it? on the architecture of Lightning. Right. That's dope. So basically that's going to be like Ethereum on Bitcoin. Is Lightning ready to handle like to build on Lightning yet? They say it is. And I'm not sure if a lot of independent nodes are spread across the world, but definitely there are lots of companies that put a lot of money into Lightning. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. BitRefill which right now I think is the champion in terms of large lightning channels. Mm -hmm. They have been able to open multiple full Bitcoin channels. 
And as you know, when you open a channel which has a certain amount of liquidity, then you're able to transact that amount. And mm -hmm. they have been able to open for themselves channels that allow one full Bitcoin to be transacted via Lightning Network. And that's kind of insane as, you know, hmm. Lightning was made for microtransactions and moving small amounts, but they are trying to make it able to handle so much volume. I I messed around with Lightning a little bit. Like I, I when I was at the Bitcoin conference in 2019, um, I was accepting payment in Lightning using uh, I think I was using Blue Wallet. Maybe I don't know. Um, I had a few of the wallets on there, and uh, I haven't. <laughs> I don't know how to get the uh, Lightning converted to Bitcoin without just cashing it out into uh, gift cards or something. So like it's it's a little bit confusing still to me. Like as I think I'm a pretty decent user of Bitcoin, but I'm not like a technical um, uh, warlord like most, I think, on crypto Twitter. But uh, it, it needs to be easy enough for somebody at least like me to be able to uh, use it still, I think. And then even from me down to like the next user, I know that there's a big gap still. And, you know, those are the people that I guess are going to have to figure out how to use it too. I mean, it's kind of simple unless you have to write command line instructions. And there are lots of applications that you can install and they, they do it for you instantly. And right now I'm thinking of Node Launcher by Pierre Rochard, which was launched mid-2019, I think, or maybe a bit mm -hmm. earlier. But it was able to deliver the full experience with a full node and a lightning node just by clicking a few times and setting up where you want the files to be downloaded. So from this point of view, it was simple. But mm -hmm. to be able to run lightning properly, you need to understand networking. So you have to do some port routing on your internet router port forwarding, mm -hmm. sorry, on your internet router, because otherwise you'll be able to open channels, but you will not be able to receive money because you don't have that port open in your mm -hmm. connection. And after you do that, you have to open channels and you have to understand how they work. And there are going to be lots of improvements in this regard. Yeah. And there is a lot of work going on right now. And we're going to have watchtowers that are basically supervisors of the whole activity to make sure that there's no abuse or cheating between channels. And How do you determine who the watchtowers are? Hmm? How do you determine who the watchtowers are? I'm not sure how you determine. I, I think you can even run one yourself, but you have to keep it on 24-7 and make sure that a power outage or some sort of internet crash will not affect the way it runs. So mm -hmm. it has to be there all the time and check what the other channels are doing. If, and if the nodes are being honest, I think the biggest concern with lightning is doing some sort of double spending to exploit some sort of latency in the network. You send an amount, and then it doesn't get broadcast by all the participants that are supposed to route it 
and you exploit some sort of situation where you purchase something, but it wasn't routed properly and it returns an error. And there's mm -hmm. going to be some sort of conflict between the two channels. And supposedly the watchtowers are like the ones that enforce the rules objectively, and they're going to be there to see if anyone abuses any kind of networking tricks. There have mm. been cases when this happened, but most of them were discovered by developers. And whenever this happened, they just sent back the amounts to make sure that nothing was lost. So in yeah, this early I, phase I of... Friend, I had a friend lose 0.8 Bitcoin on Lightning last summer, but he got it back through talking to some of the developers or something. Somebody yeah. helped him. At this early phase, people are very open and honest and they're willing to help much more than usual just because they want to make the technology work and they need this feedback to improve it. But it's still reckless. I don't think it's there for all the applications for which it can be used when it matures. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I guess, like, right now, for me, it's, like, as the easiest way for me to make a Bitcoin token right now still is just to use um, the counterparty apps because even though counterparty is not, like, being worked on that much, even though they ha do have some stuff going on from what I understand, it's still um, the simplest for an artist to to do um it's it's limiting in a variety of ways compared to what ethereum can do like some of their stuff but uh i would like to see more work on that i'd like to find out what uh giacomo is doing with that if it works out i actually had an interview with him you can check it out it's on the youtube channel of bitcoin magazine and okay. Giacomo talks all about layer three and what he thinks it is about and what he's working on right now. He calls it Spectrum. Okay. I'll definitely take a look at that. And it's not just about you. It's about anyone listening to this and maybe they want to find out more. And mm -hmm. Giacomo is one of the most rational people around. Yeah, he... I've seen him uh, talk on at conferences a few times. He's, he's funny. Which conferences did you attend last year? Um, the Tab Conference in Atlanta. I was at the um, Bitcoin State Carnivore thing. The last two, the first two of those. Uh, what else? Um, Bitcoin twenty nineteen in San Francisco. Uh, I did a couple parties in New York that were like art, crypto art parties um, in Brooklyn. I don't know, it's a couple of local DC ones. And I, I went to, I went, I was lucky enough to go to the uh, the round table, but I wasn't invited. I went with my wife who was invited. Oh, so you were brought to the Satoshi round table by your wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you provide more details or is it some sort of secretive meeting and you're not supposed to tell what happens there? I don't I don't know. I'm not even getting into it. But yeah, it was it was nice to get, uh hang out in the nice uh Mexico. Like <laughs> 
but um it was good it's not i don't think it's it's not the uh i don't know i'm not even gonna i mean i know people are on both sides of that one okay so but it was fun it was interesting like it's good to get heads to talking but our some heads probably shouldn't <laughs> always be there and some heads are excluded so it's still but somebody putting it together taking the time to do that and all that you got you know somebody anybody can do that okay so you said that you're based in dc mm -hmm. and what is the art scene for bitcoin in there or the bitcoin scene in general it's government it's government blockchain it used to be more, uh, there used to be a little bit more meetups and stuff. Uh, I attended a few. Um, I'm there. The scene's not, I don't think it's that big unless they're, unless Georgetown University, I think, has a little scene. Uh, but I've got a meetup page. And we've done some meetups. You know, there's a couple hundred people, but the meetups were only like, you know, five to 15. I think we had like 20 at the most during like the bubble. I know that was like an art and blockchain meeting. So it'd be like artists learning about Bitcoin and Ethereum. Okay. So what you're saying is that there's not much going on right now? Yeah, not, not so much. I mean, the Bitcoin, people are investing in Bitcoin. There's government blockchain stuff is big. Like um, hype, uh, what is it? Like the IBM stuff and all that people talk about. Um. But, you know, Bitcoin ATMs are going strong out here, I think. So there are people buying Bitcoin. But, in uh, the United like States, the ATMs are KYC only, right? So you have to sign in with your ID or driver's license, and then you can purchase. For anything over, like, a certain amount, yeah, most machines, I think, are at least... Uh, 300 they start asking for stuff what about withdrawals do they still ask you for ID when you withdraw less than 300 um if you sell I believe they still do that's a good question I don't know I think most most companies that are doing the Bitcoin stuff now they're getting into it and putting money into it and trying to take over the market or putting machines out that are like fingerprint. You got to sign up, you know, uh, once you sign up, you can freely use it easily. But yeah, I think it's going super KYC. It's kind of crazy how they made sure that nobody can withdraw or buy without doing KYC in the United States. While in Europe, it's much more unpredictable. Sometimes you find KYC-only ATMs, and then you go into places like Berlin, and you're going to see lots of ATMs that don't ask you for anything except for your wallet, for your public key, and mm. the way for it your should be. cash when you buy. Yeah. It, it, isn't Germany, they still have a law, or they don't have the law, or, or the law is that if you hold your crypto for more than a year it's not taxable i think i'm not sure common. what it's like in there that's that's how it was at least up to a year ago i know because i have a friend that did it 
but who but knows things it's change so interesting quickly. with all these different degrees of regulation yeah it's annoying it's uh that's the scariest thing for bitcoin because um you know even when some you can't stop bitcoin but too many regulations on it are going to keep a lot of people away from it and you know you gotta be careful who infiltrates the space i mean it's gotta you gotta keep it in the uh best ability that you can i guess in the original image i agree with you and i suppose they can enforce this so possibly in five years all of us will be kyc all across the planet when we try yeah. to buy or sell bitcoins but there are still methods that don't rely on traditional finance and you can think of situations where you use bisc which is mm -hmm. totally decentralized and you're sending bitcoins to an address and you're receiving fiat in your bank account and the bank will not know that it's for a bitcoin purchase because it comes from a person and not from an exchange yeah and we we still can move bitcoins and exchange for cash in situations like using items that allow us to store bitcoins like bearer assets for example like the open dime or mm, cold yeah. storage devices and you can just hand that one and you scan it because it's watch only you can see how much bitcoin there is on it and you yeah. pay cash for it so that's a possible scenario even though Yo, I, I think the open dimes are they don't like open dime technology i'll even call it not just open dimes but um And I, I enjoyed your podcast with uh, Novak or whatever his name is, NVK. Um, but that that technology is like the simplest way if people are all worried about mixing and stuff. Like if you're using Bitcoin as a bare instrument, then it's not even on chain. And so like that's like the ultimate if people want to mix, like there's your mix right there. Yeah, there's no evidence that any Bitcoin has been moved and has changed hands. Yeah. And that yeah. also gives everyone who holds Bitcoins a plausible deniability because mm -hmm. there's no proof that somebody else has taken custody of the keys to these Bitcoins. Exactly. Yep, that those... I, 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 yeah, I've been supporting those guys for a while. Anything they release, I, I just buy with some just to get it because it's always some weird shit some improved shit too so do you use any kind of hardware wallet because that has been the subject for the entire season four yeah yeah i've i've got a, i've got i've got a, um some hardware wallets but i don't know man i'm, I'm not i'm losing faith in a lot of these hardware wallets uh long term I guess I'm not losing faith. It's just I'm just getting. I don't know what the solution is for like long-term storage. Still, what is your take on it? You did all those podcasts on it. Yeah, I think the best episodes that I have recorded were the ones with Lazy Ninja 
and also Peter Todd, as they mm. explained that it's very important to understand your threat model because there is no jack of all trades, really. You're not going to have one device which solves all of your problems. And you have to understand from what or from whom you're trying to protect your Bitcoins. And That's for good... every use case, you're going to have one service or one product that is superior to the other one. So for physical security, if you carry your hardware wallet around all the time and you leave it on your desk and stuff like that, I think that the ledger, because of its secure element chip, is the best. Mm -hmm. But if you don't want to trust anybody and you want to verify all the code that's in there, and you want to be sure that your device is honest when it displays the amounts of Bitcoins that you hold, then there is no way to beat the treasure. Mm, yeah. And everything else is kind of in between these two. I so, think the so code look, card so is like a nuance. Up. Yeah, go ahead. Just don't forget what you wanted to say and I'll go on. I, yeah. I think the cold card and the bitbox are kind of in between. They are not as transparent as the treasure. They're not as physically secure as the ledger but they're not as safe as cold storage. So they provide different kind of interfaces that grant you more privacy. So that's something that, or something for which they can take credit. They provide new and nice features and they help push innovation in this rather new industry. But otherwise, they're not perfect. So I think there's a lot of marketing and there are a lot of Twitter accounts that push for one product and they say it's perfect and it serves their needs. And it might be true, but it mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it's what's right for you. Yeah, the, the thing that... So I was, a, I was all the way with Ledger for a while. And... I agree. They seem like the most robust, and but the problem is that is they're not open source. But the main problem that I have with Ledger is somehow they had a in the app store as the number one Ledger app for a little while was was a corrupt, um, whatever like a a, a hacks uh, version of their software. And from what I understand, nobody ever figured out who it was. Nobody lost Bitcoins because of it, but it had like the most open access when you downloaded it to like all your shit. And that's like a mystery to me. And like that, ha it was on their web. From what I understand, it was on their website for like a, at least a few days, months, weeks. I don't know. But do you know about this? I know that there are lots of phishing attempts and lots of malware applications that look yeah. just like the interface of the application, the original one. And they also, they look like it, they work like it, but they collect your data and they're only there to steal your Bitcoins. Yeah. So that, 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 that just scares me. Like as somebody who's like, I don't know, like, it's a regular user. Like if I, if I was during that time period to download that app and then I would, 
I know. And I have a friend who right now who's like going through it with them trying to get Bitcoin back. Um, the address that she had after she downloaded that had uh, it changed the read only address or whatever to send it to Bitcoin that she didn't an address she didn't control. And it was one of those things where it was like a, a service she was providing. So she was getting Bitcoin in there um, constantly or a flow of it, at least. So she wasn't checking every transaction. And uh, I guess after a few weeks, she figured out that the money wasn't in her account, which is scary. Oh, so she got linked to a different the, the software that she was watching? In her wallet or her, or maybe not her wallet, I'm sorry. In her, let's call it Ledger Live or whatever it was at that point um, that they had for an app. It was reading when she opened it up. It was, the address that she copied wasn't the address that it was before Ledger. I guess now they do like a verify address and all that stuff on it. It was one of the older models. Um, I don't know the exact. I might be mixing up the story a little bit, but it, it was a, it was a mess. Like and I like I said, I still like Ledger, but that was a little scary. Those th- type of things can happen. So like I guess. That's what the development and stuff, I guess, everybody's working on, obviously. But we're still not there, I guess, as far as, like, being safe and, like, being like, oh, yeah, buy some Bitcoin and hold it for your kid's college fund. Like, where where are you going to hold that for 15, 18 years? Yeah, that's a fair point. From this point of view, I think the cold card does the best job because they have no user interface. You have to use a third party wallet that is actually developed by professional developers and it's open source. And you, mm-hmm. you either get Wasabi wallet that's more private and uses Tor and also allows you to mix the coins or you use Electrum that has been around for a longer time. And mm-hmm. you choose between these two products and those are going to be your in your visual interfaces for what goes on. And you don't even have to connect your cold card to the computer with a cable. You just take the SD card and put it inside your computer. So the device itself doesn't get connected, but you still mm-hmm. use a wallet file that reads the amount of Bitcoins that you have. And grants you access. It's called PCT. It's like a multi-sig setup. And you have to sign it both from the device and from your computer to make a transaction. I'm looking. I got a a cold card, the first cold card in my hand right here. I haven't, I set it up for a second, but I never got all the way to set it up. But I don't think it has an SD card. That's a new thing. Yeah, that's mark free. So you have Mark 1, which is a year old. And I think this is what kind of sucks because you get one device and by next year it's going to be obsolete. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you're not an active Bitcoiner, like you kind of can miss out. You can lose out on things. And like even, dude, like I've been heads down in this space at least since like, let's say 2015. And, uh, I took a little break last year to really work on music hard again. And so I lost uh, connections with some of the things going on. 
and it happens quick, dude. Like if you just put your head up for like three months, like if you're following like a bunch of different things, like things happen fast and some of them disappear. Some of them move fast. I I don't know. Like, you know, it's, it's like a day is like a week in this space. Oh yeah. Just if you look at the Bitcoin price today, I mean, yeah. it, it went from 6,200 to 7,200 in like 30 minutes. And as we're speaking, it's at, it's at 6,700 and going <laughs> down. So it was like this huge pump. Yeah, and people got excited and a lot of shorts got wrecked. Yeah. And now it feels like it's going back to normal. That's fucked. Up, man. I have a note in my uh, thing. I have to. I, so anybody that I used on this album, on this Bitcoin album, um, I that I had to pay, I paid them all in Bitcoin. So uh, on top of that, I guess it might be or it's probably the first album to all be transacted in Bitcoin as well. But uh, I owe the mix engineer some money, and I got to send him Bitcoin. I have a note in my phone after this interview to send him the Bitcoin. And I was thinking right before his interview, I was like, man, watch this shit's going to go down when I get off. I should send it to him right now when it was like 7,000. I, uh, I guess it should have, but you never know what's <laughs> going to happen in know, 30 my minutes. Gut me, my gut told me that though, I swear. Uh, you should put that in the liner notes of the album that it's the first one, which was entirely paid with Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, I'm my own. I'm my own artist, my own PR, my own everything on this one, man. This is a true independent uh, release right here. Uh, I'm part of some other s- stuff that's not like this, and so uh, I, you really appreciate other people, every all the work they got to do. Because I'm sending emails, PR, and just trying to get the awareness out on this is uh, it's funny. You should also send me the PR, so. I can publish it on my website. Oh, as sweet. This interview will get published on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube. And then there's going to be a blog post on the website about mm-hmm. the interview, which contains all the links. And among the text, I can also add your PR, if that's okay. Huh. Yeah, and cool. Yeah, you should also let us know if the album, and by the way, what's the name of this album? And after you name it and you tell us what it's called, is it going to be available on any streaming services except for Bandcamp or is it just an exclusive? Yeah, it's uh, Sound Money is the name of the album. DJ J. Skrilla, Sound Money is out April 14th um, on all streaming platforms. Um, you can pre-order it now on Bandcamp and you will be able to pre-order it on iTunes and Google, et cetera, in a few days. Um, when you pre-order it, I have uh, information on my band camp, at least right now. I need to make this more accessible. But when you pre-order the album, you also get the crypto collectible token that uh, you kind of like a Patreon thing. And who knows? And maybe, it, maybe it'll do something. I have a DJ Pepe coin. That we didn't even talk about that. I started in 2016 as a music access coin that I use a SoundCloud private link page. So if you own the DJ Pepe coin, then a bonus link shows up on your website on the layer three. And uh, 
you get access to my uh, music. So maybe we could turn this into an access token too. That, that's really the plan, but we, I just haven't gotten with a developer to do that yet. And also, I really would like to find more places that accept Bitcoin, platforms that accept Bitcoin and um, lightning um, streams and stuff like that. So uh, if anybody's out there that wants to talk to me about that, I'm definitely interested in trying to do stuff like that. Sounds interesting. And I really appreciate that there's some artistic effort that's being put into this. And I think a lot of the artists right now are much more into sculpture and paintings, but not so mm -hmm. much into music other than Tatiana. I don't think yeah. I... I mean, there was some guy doing YouTube videos and there's that other person doing the astronaut music videos, which yeah. are renditions of 1990s hit songs. They're parodies, yeah. Yeah. Like, so I'm, they're yeah, not that's really the original. Most, most, most of the stuff that's come out in the Bitcoin space is parodies or freestyles. Like, what's his name? One rapper that was big in like 2013 in the Bitcoin space. He was dope. But most, I think all this stuff was over like Drake beats and stuff. Like, so Tatiana, for sure, she makes music about the, you know, libertarian movements and Bitcoin and Silk Road and stuff. Um, a few others. My man Theo Goodman uh, makes crazy like German crot house rage music, a lot of Bitcoin and stuff involved in that. And, uh, you know, there's a few people that have jumped in, like DJ Blau, who's a super mega DJ in the uh, internationally known, um, jumped in and started his own Ethereum token for, you know, stuff in 2018. He jumped right out, I think, as soon as his lawyers um, figured out it wasn't popping. But he was in it. Uh, DJ Khaled, um, Static Selector, who's a, a Sirius XM. He's one of the biggest hip hop DJs um he's definitely into bitcoin some other people too so you'd be surprised there's people into it but nobody that's really like i guess embracing it like i'm trying to show people like i'm not the hugest artist obviously so i hope that i can lay out this this uh foundation of trying to use crypto in some way using bitcoin like, like i said like the lightning or accepting payments and stuff like that um and there's been platforms that have been up before and i've done it before but I, as of right now it doesn't seem like there's any like new ones that are improving on anything or um, anything that really is feasible that makes it easier for the um, cons consumer or worth their while at least. Wait, so DJ Khaled is actually into Bitcoin because last time nah. I heard about him, it was nah, about nah, him. Nah. <laughs> I mean, he was in the, he was in the, I guess I'm sorry, he's in the crypto space. Like at some point, like I, if he's doing that, he must know about Bitcoin. If he's, doing that Centura thing or whatever he did. Yeah, I think he even was investigated by the SEC or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He had, I don't know if he caught a fine or not, but he was part of that, him and Floyd. Uh, Nipsey Hussle, who died last year, actually, today or yesterday was his one-year anniversary. He was a huge hip-hop rapper and mogul and won a Grammy and stuff, and he... Uh, he was in the crypto heavy. He was another rapper, uh, hip hop guy that was into it. I don't know what coins he was into and stuff like that, but I know he was into Bitcoin at least. 
when you think about it, it's kind of interesting. I think the first example in hip hop that we know about an artist selling his album for Bitcoin is 50 Cent. Mm-hmm. And it was very early on. Yeah, it was like 2016 album. That it was his worst selling album of all of his albums, but it made him probably close to the most money because of how much Bitcoin went up. <laughs> well, possibly because we have no idea what happened to the Bitcoins, where they went. Yeah, we don't know if they sold them or anything. We're not sure That's if it true. was his wallet that received the Bitcoins or somebody from his management thought it was a fun idea. It was, you're right. You're right. It was definitely not him probably getting those. It was probably his management. But and to be fair, he wasn't the first artist to do that. Like uh, Murs, who is a big, uh, he has a really big following. Um, he made a Bitcoin song. Like He was like a hip hop artist that um, made a Bitcoin song in like 2000. 13 or so um a couple other people there was a couple other people before before 50 oh talib Kweli, who's part of black star with most stuff he put out a song um and he sold his album for bitcoin i don't know if it was before or after 50 but it was around the same time but he was like all over that bitcoin wave before most people and then there was Soldier Boy, or I'm not sure how you uh, pronounce his name. And he released one <laughs> song about Bitcoin, and it was so, so bad. Yeah, it was awful, man. It's like he uh, didn't even try. Even the rapping was terrible. No, he, he doesn't ever try, though, shit. bro. The guy's never tried in his life. Like, he doesn't understand. Like, that's not the wave anymore. He was part of a wave that he didn't have to try in music during that time. He just had to make youtube videos because youtube was you know he kind of helped pop youtube off of. he didn't have to try now he has to try now that nobody cares and he has no label backing that's he's that guy was never like yeah <laughs> i mean when i listen to that one it just sounds poorly produced and cheap like the samples that he has for in- instruments yeah. they're possibly taken from a Casio keyboard or something because they, they just sound bad. <laughs> they sound like exactly a Casio beat. It's probably just a Fruity Loops beat his man cooked up in like 10 minutes. But, you know, man, like, like I'm an artist and I treasure the art for real, like in always, but um, for the most part, I can't, you can't deny it. The industry of music the industry of art is all marketing so if you put money behind something the right way i mean that's how you sell music and art i mean i agree you can always find somebody who is more talented than the artist being promoted but at the same time there's always so much more than the music that's being sold to you. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of attitude or lifestyle or idea. Yeah, definitely. That's, I mean, that's how you get the, the budgets. That's how you get the marketing, the corporations behind you. I'm not too much into hip hop, so it's not my field of expertise, but I know that artists from the sixties, like you think of Bob Dylan, right? And he's the worst mm. singer you can find. Sure. He cannot it's sing true. in tune if you pay him a billion dollars. He will not do it. Right. But 
he was still something like the marketing behind him was trying to promote him as this rebel who ran away from home and is really, really badass and wears glass sunglasses all the time. And, you know, he was kind of an icon at the time. So mm-hmm. I think equal to his music is that image that he projected in the 60s. And it was very hard for him to move on from that because he, as an artist, has grown and tried different styles and people were still stuck in you know that era and i I think that's everyone's problem when you have a hit song people are going to associate you with it for the rest of your life even though you might grow as an artist and develop different tastes yeah that's absolutely true and i i've seen it hundreds of times where i've done something with an artist who's got a hit song from back in the day and they got to perform that because that's what the crowd demands. And it's like their least favorite song. But that's the one that resonates with the crowd, you know? Oh, it's not just about that. It's about the marketing because possibly you're not 21 anymore. And you, yeah. you don't feel like you felt when you were 21. You cannot project the same amount of energy. And the song that you wrote back then doesn't resonate with the way you feel. So you're yeah. trying to promote a different kind of image for the fans, but they're going to find it weird because in their minds, you're still that 21-year-old who was singing, singing that one song. Yep. Yep. It's, you know, I respect like a lot of artists that come up that do it on their own for the most part. You know, if you can do that, then you kind of, you start from the bottom and grind the gears up. It's hard for you to fall down the ladder fast. When you're put it on a pedestal quickly, get that one hit out, and you didn't have any of the knowledge coming up the ladder, then when you fall down, you're not going to know how to bring yourself back up that ladder. Like when a artist who's got his hands kind of like involved in everything and knows what's going on, like if they stumble, they'll know where to like catch themselves and get back up. I feel like and especially when the independent, at least in hip hop and rock, like when the, when the, when the majors started falling around 2000, you know, like towards the end of the 2000s into the early 2010s, like in the independents started rising, you saw a lot of rappers that were signed in the, in the 2000s or the late nineties. They didn't know how to readjust accordingly to the independence scene. They didn't know how to, um, market themselves or distribute themselves or manage their time or any of that stuff as, as well because they didn't have a team around them. But now artists, I kind of built, I think more or less because of the internet, they build up of themselves with a few of their homies and catch on to a couple of things. And then they can, they kind of walk that whole ladder up and uh, hopefully it'll be easier for them. Right. So right now you have an album that's coming out in two weeks. It's called Sound Money. And do you have any type of expectations for any of the songs to become cult classics in the Bitcoin space? Um, I don't know. I released the Sound Money uh, or the, um, what's it called? Uh, Money Printer Go Burr yesterday. And uh, I've had a couple of people tweet it out that it's their uh, Bitcoin song of uh, the decade and the post apocalypse and shit so that was good it's gotten it's been well received so far it's things up to like a thousand plays over the last 24 hours 
the um I would yeah that one probably uh my personal favorite is track two um the Satoshi Nakamoto track so that one I think the one with Rome Streets Rome Streets has a big buzz in the underground hip-hop scene so I think uh people people have been asking me for a video for that one that I've heard it right so I presume that most people will not invest enough time to listen to the entire album even though it's not so long but if you could recommend three songs from the album to help them understand what this is about which one of them would they be um it would be satoshi nakamoto um dream of empire and the um Faith in my money, money printer go burr. So tracks two, three, and seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I listened to this last night and I expected it to take me about one hour because that's the length I usually expect from an album. Mm-hmm. But when I realized it was only about 20 minutes or something, 25 possibly. I was just relieved and I said, okay, this was fresh. It felt energetic. There was a lot being presented there. I've heard many familiar voices speaking to me about Bitcoin in different contexts. And I feel Mm -hmm. like this was kind of a juxtaposition of different voices speaking about Bitcoin in different contexts to tell the story of the album. Yeah. Yeah, um, these days, I think the, because the fans don't listen to full full albums as much, especially not an album that's an hour long, at least in my line of work, uh, usually 30 minutes is the max these days on albums and 10 tracks is about the most you'll get. Most albums coming out these days are six or seven tracks, at least in like the underground hip hop field, because the, um, you can charge more on iTunes. The difference between an EP and an LP is, I think, five to six. And you can charge more by putting that six track on. And it's kind of because the market has moved to so much quantity and less quality because people just want to get new songs. A song lasts with them for like a week, lasts with them for a day. You know, who knows? They're quick, though, you know, because albums come so fast and so many and so saturated that the better artists over the last few years, at least in like the underground hip hop scene. I don't know. I can't speak for the whole music scene, but they've been releasing uh, just quick, like every couple months, six, seven song albums. And then maybe once a year or twice a year, hit you with a big one. It's like 10 tracks and more, uh, it's more polished and more marketed heavier. I think even Kanye West does that. Sure. Yeah. Kanye West is a major independent artist, if that makes sense. Like he's he's a major artist, but he still does it his, his own. He's indie, you know. Which is crazy because whenever he releases something, it becomes part of the mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's definitely a uh, an icon of hip hop for the last twenty years for sure. He'd be on. He'd be on the Mount Rushmore probably over the last. I mean, not probably. He'd be on the Mount Rushmore. 
Yeah, a lot of people like are because he has some of the most tasteful samples. And if you listen to his music, it, it doesn't feel like hip hop. He's yeah, he's he's just a dope he's a dope producer. At this point, he's past being a beat maker and he's just a conductor and a maven and brings people together and puts out in his artist takes the artistic vibes surrounding him and makes albums. He's like the Andy Warhol of hip, of modern hip hop kind of. Really? So when did he stop making beats? I was not aware. Not that, that. he stopped. Not, not that he stopped making beats. So don't get it twisted. He's not, he's not in his basement banging out on his ASR anymore. Like, see, Kanye like came up through the same channels as like us. Like people like that code cool to like beat. He was in like hundred person capacity arenas doing beats and stuff. Like, so he's walked his way up and. He's now in a position where, you know, he might start a beat, but he's got, you know, violins and, you know, he's bring this person in, bring this choir in. Like, and he even started doing that as an indie artist. He put, he put, he invested his own money into bringing like the Harlem choir on a track as opposed to the, whatever the Chicago one or wherever the one the label wanted to pay for that was way cheaper. Like, he put his money up and was like, no, nah, I need them on the album, on Jesus Walks, actually, and uh, stuff like that. But I forget where I was going with that. Okay. So I feel like I should ask you one last question about your album mm-hmm. and wrap this up to keep it short and sweet, even though I, I suppose we have talked for about one hour now. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel like it has been one hour, but this is how it goes. Interesting conversations happening. So we just have to follow So do you have any kind of target audience? Do you think that there are specific people in the Bitcoin space who should hear this? Or is it more generalistic and everyone should listen to it, be them Andreas Antonopoulos to hear his own voice or just the newbies coming into the space and trying to understand what this is about? So I guess... I made the album and I tried to walk a fine line that it could be played by Bitcoiners, traders, and no coiners that like raw, grimy hip hop uh, alike. So um, I try to walk a fine line there where it's not going to be too cheesed out for like a person that's just a regular fan of hip hop where hopefully it's not too overly content. So I have some songs have a lot of breaks in them where it's just the beat. Um, I try to be artistic with the sample putting in there with the scratches and the changing of the voices and the echoes and stuff, the dub effects. But um, then the Bitcoiners, I would assume they would, I would assume Bitcoiners would get behind it and be like, oh, cool. You know, as long as they like it, but a quality album that, represents the culture i'm in i'm gonna fucking share it like i don't think this is gonna be something that you play all the time like or anything but it's something i think it can motivate you or like if you're good trading music like i think it would make sense uh you trade in bitcoin just have it on in the background um you know if uh any like uh youtubers or tv series or anything doing crypto stuff want to holler at me and get some music can license it out stuff like that 
Yes, and as a closing note, I I think I should express what I have felt as I was listening to the album. Mm-hmm. And the vibe that I was getting is that I'm being reminded why I'm into this and how it all started. Because when you get lost in the daily events and you see all of this crazy series of events happening, it's very easy to get lost and forget the origins of Bitcoin and what the intentions of the people who promoted it in the early days were and how they presented it and how they were expressing their affinity for Bitcoin, maybe in 2012, 2013. Mm. And part of that initial spirit was lost. And as I was listening, I felt like this is definitely a work about the early days. And it's not until track number seven that it gets more contemporary. Yeah. So it's like a a story about how Bitcoin became a cultural phenomenon and an economic instrument before our days. And it gets to our days in track seven. And after that, it just tells a story that doesn't come to a conclusion because it's still being written. Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. I might have to write that up like that, Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can listen to the recording, take notes. <laughs> Maybe I should become a music critic. Yeah, there it is. But I, you know, when I when I piece things together, like this is kind of my my thing. Like over the years, I've made a lot of projects where I piece together things. I'm kind of known for like in my circle of being a really good post production person. So putting things together in this type of thing, even when I did my art on the blockchain podcast about crypto art for a couple of years, everything was like, like people commented a lot that it sounded like an underground college radio show. There was music and sound effects and shit like that. So like I do a lot of that stuff and I've always done that. Cause like I came up as a mixtape DJ back in the day. Um, and I'm kind of into even my artwork that is around is collage is like, it's kind of like, I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's like the same thing. It's just a free flow of thoughts and stuff. So I try to just kind of put all that stuff together and make it into a something that people can understand, hopefully. I hope so, too. So what was the date? The 12th or the 14th of April? 14th. 14th of April. Check out Sound Money. It's an album that's going to get released on Bandcamp and then it's going to be on all the major streaming platforms. If you're a Bitcoiner and you have 25 minutes and you most likely have while doing something else, you have absolutely no excuse to not listen to this one. It's a great album. I recommend it. It gives you the vibes of being an early Bitcoiner and then takes you through a journey where you discover how we ended up into this mess. And it also gives you hopes for the future. So if you ever feel doubtful about your involvement (laughs) in Bitcoin and you forget why you got into this in the first place, then you listen to Sound Money. It reminds you why you got into this and why you should keep on doing stuff in the space. And it pumps your motivation back. So even if the price dumps, your motivation pumps because you're listening to sound money. 
by Jay Skrilla. <laughs> Appreciate that. That's kind words. Okay, so I'll see you around, Mr. Jay Skrilla. Thanks for this interview. All right, great. Thanks, Vlad. Take care. No, wait, wait, wait. I should allow you to promote your social media platforms. Wait, do that, oh, yeah. please. Yeah, um, you guys and gals can follow me at Skrilla Ventura on Twitter, at The Skrillionaire on Instagram, and rareskrilla.com is my website. And uh, yeah, check it out. And you can pre-order everything at Bandcamp. All those socials have the link there. Yeah, all the links will be on the Bitcoin Takeover website. So you can see them. You just click there and you purchase the album. And listen, don't forget, it might not be crazy interesting to some of you. Some of you might be, but you get a crypto token exclusively for pre-ordering it and supporting, throwing $10 towards this Bitcoin cause. You know what I'm saying? So you can do that. And uh, that's a cool little thing I'm trying to uh, do too. So yeah, enjoy. <laughs> okay. So thanks for this interview. All right. Thanks, Vlad.